0: Who likes to go camping? You were just thinking that. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if they do camping. like I, I love to go camping. I grew up going camping. The cool thing about when you're like a, when you're like a ten year old boy, camping is awesome because you already hate taking showers. I remember on one Royal Ranger camp out that we went out, we we went on, like. Those tents were so ripe, Mike. (laughs) Um, But we grew up, we grew up going camping. My mom would take us out camping. Um, She had this friend that whenever we would go camping with her, like it would always either rain or snow the whole time. We eventually learned to stop going camping with Lisa um, because we had better weather that way. I don't know what, I don't know what that was about. And so, growing up enjoying camping, I, I thought that I would continue to enjoy camping the way that I did when I was a kid. You know, you're out there and you get to build fires and you get to play with hatchets and pocket knives and dig in the dirt and build forts and. So when I was just finishing my time in Bible college. I was trying to figure out what it is that God wanted me to do with my life in the next season. And so I thought one way for me to figure this out would be to take some time and go into the woods alone and spend time praying. And so I packed up my little Ford Ranger with a tent and a sleeping bag and a lantern and my Bible and a book. I didn't bring food because I was going to fast while I was there. I didn't bring cooking gear because I was going to fast while I was there. And so I went and found this campground, pulled in, set up my tent, put my sleeping bag out, built a fire, sat by the fire. The fire was nice. Um, but the fire kept drawing in bugs. Like I had this picture of what camping was going to be like. I thought this. I thought, where did it go? It's not. It disappeared. Perfect. That, hopefully, the rest of the slides are there. Um. You, you have this picture of what camping is going to be like. It's going to be beautiful and. You'll see the stars. Here's the thing. In Missouri, you don't see stars. There's no stars in Missouri, I don't think. Um, between light pollution and the fact that there's millions of miles of... Uh, you're, you're so much lower in elevation. There's more atmosphere between there. And I am assuming the reason why I couldn't see stars is because there was an infestation of Japanese beetles. Um which I don't know if you know this, Japanese beetles are, they do not care about citronella candles. You know, citronella candles are meant to keep mosquitoes away. They do nothing for Japanese beetles. And they are also very attracted to light at night. So built the fire, getting bombarded with beetles. And so I uh, set my, candle on the picnic table, get my Bible out, get my book out, light the citronella candle, which I don't know that beetles are not, they don't care about citronella. I really don't think anybody cares about citronella candles. I don't think they work. I think it's a lie. But I'm sitting here trying to read, trying to hear from God, trying to hear what God is saying to me about what my next season in life is going to be. And the whole time I'm being bombarded with these stupid beetles. Like they're floating in the candle wax and they're stuck in my hair. One flies in my ear and I swat it away, knock the citronella candle over, dump candle wax all over the book that I'm reading. So I'm like, well, I'll just go to bed. I'll go climb in the tent and I'll read in there. And at least it won't be hitting me in the head. Problem is, is that to read inside of a tent, you have to have light and bugs are still attracted to light. Sitting in the tent, trying to read, obviously not the book that I was just reading because half of the pages are stuck together with candle wax. And it sounds like it's hailing, all of these beetles hitting the sides of the tent. I can't, I can't focus. I turn off the lantern and lay not in my sleeping bag because it's Missouri and it's humid and gross. So I lay on top of the sleeping bag and get too cold, get in the sleeping bag and start sweating too much. And so all night it's inside the sleeping bag, outside the sleeping bag, inside the sleeping bag, outside the sleeping bag. And, and there's another thing. I don't know if you've ever been in the woods in, in places like Missouri, but they have these bugs, not just the beetles. They have these bugs that sound like chainsaws all night long. They're called cicadas. Yeah. I, it wasn't until I moved to Missouri. I I'd never heard that. The first time I pulled them to Missouri, I thought my brakes were going out. <laughs> I seriously thought my brakes were going out because what is that noise? It sounds like brakes grinding. Needless to say, this experience didn't live up to my expectations. I, I actually packed up the next morning at like <laughs> 6 o'clock. Threw at, like, I didn't even roll my tent up. I just pulled the poles out and shoved it in the back seat. Didn't stuff my sleeping bag in the thing. I shoved it all in the back seat of my truck and got out of there. <laughs> I, on the way home, I'm like, "Well, you know what? Since none of this works, it worked. I'm just gonna go get breakfast," which I was supposed to be fasting. But the bacon was delicious. That was the that was the best part of that entire experience. I think the reality is is that whether whether you like camping or not, I think we've all experienced things in our lives where we've had this expectation and it didn't meet up to that the the reality of it didn't meet up to that expectation or it was more difficult than the 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 reality the expectation that we create in our mind didn't like there was a disjointed uh cognitive dissonance uh when it comes to that have you, you ever experienced that like you were hoping that the patriots weren't going to win the super bowl and then they did You were hoping that you would get that promotion and you didn't. You had already started planning for how you were going to use the money for the the raise that you were going to get. You created a budget and it didn't happen. You you thought, like when we moved to Missouri, we thought we were going to buy a house. Because we had sold the house that we... we had owned in, in, on the Western Slope. We were going to buy a house in, in Missouri, and then we just couldn't find one that didn't have shotgun holes in the sh- drywall. <laughs> we just couldn't find one. It was, it was interesting. I think we've all experienced that. And, and, and those times when we experience that, that disjointed experience where, where reality doesn't match up to our expectations it can make us feel lost. It can make us feel like like we don't know what's happening, like God's not hearing us. Now, we have been um, studying, um, we we started this series three weeks ago called uh, Seeing the Invisible. We've talked a lot about what it's like to experience God in difficult times, hearing God's voice in difficult times, what to do when you feel like you're being abandoned but but what if god answers your prayers what if you cry out to god and he answers your prayers but it doesn't go the way you planned what if we're going to look at numbers chapter 14 Numbers chapter 14. Before we jump into this, um, immediately before this, immediately before this, Moses sends out 10 spies into the promised land. They have reached the end of uh, what seems like the end of their journey. They have gotten through the wilderness. And, and they're ready to figure out what the strategy for how they're going to take the promised land is going to be, and so Moses sends out ten spies into the promised land. Eight of them come back and says, "Hey guys, uh, there are giants there, there are mean people. They will eat us. They will devour us. This is scary. This is terrifying. We shouldn't do this." Two people, Joshua and Caleb. Their response is to see how God has been faithful all along the way and to know that they have faced even greater odds before this, to know that God has prepared a way for them to this point, And not only that, God has promised this land to them. And So their response is, we can do it. We surely can do it. But that's not the voice that the people hear. This is the the passage immediately after the the people hear the news that it's, that they're, that they will look like grasshoppers to the inhabitants of the promised land. And it says in chapter fourteen verse one, it says that night." All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. How did they get to this point? How did they get to this point? Let's go back. So we... We see at the end of the book of Genesis, we see Joseph being reunited with his family and being the ruler that he had dreamed of being. But at the beginning of the book of Exodus, it says that a king, that that the, the Pharaoh died, and a king who knew not Joseph became the ruler of Egypt. And what ended up happening was that all of the people began to multiply. They There were so many Israelites in Egypt. And Pharaoh decided, well, what do we do? What do we do about this problem? What do we do about this situation? They're going to run us out. of. They're going to eat us out of house and home. They're going to, they're going to, They're going to take us over. They're going to overthrow us. Eventually, they're going to rule Egypt. So what he he decides to do under counsel is that he is going to turn the Hebrews into slaves. And he wasn't a good master. He wasn't compassionate. And, And the Israelites... In Exodus chapter 2, it says this. It says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. What does it say? It says, God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So God they cried out to god god heard them god was concerned god chose to do something about their circumstance god chose to do something he sent moses moses was going to bring them out of egypt moses goes through this whole experience in the wilderness by himself encounters god at the burning bush comes back to tell them what they're supposed to do, and the immediate the thing that happens immediately after the very first confrontation, like so, they're groaning, they're crying out to God, God rescue us, God save us from uh, the the oppression of uh, of the uh, of the Egyptians. The very next thing after the first encounter with Pharaoh, the very first encounter that with Pharaoh that that Moses has, is, is this. This is a quote. From Exodus chapter 5, this is the people responding to Moses after Moses comes as an answer to the prayer that they cried out to God. This is their response to Moses May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. They don't seem real grateful. Eventually, through a series of plagues and signs and wonders and amazing things, God lets them uh, encourages Pharaoh to let the people go. Like he comes down to the point where he has no choice, and, and they 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 leave Egypt, and they should they should be celebrating because like this is the answer to their prayer. They should be celebrating because God heard their cry. God heard their groaning and God did something about it. God acted on their behalf. God moved it for them. But then they run up against the Red Sea. But not only do they run up against the Red Sea, like the Bible tells us that God directed them, rather than the shorter way, to the Red Sea. God directed them to camp to the Red Sea. Like, they could have gone around and it would have been easier. It would have been shorter. The problem was is that they would have faced adversaries almost immediately. But what what ends up happening is, is this. In chapter 14, as it says of Exodus, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Exodus 17. God rescues them. Look, this is day, day one. They run into, into the, uh, the Red Sea. Day three, God gets them through the Red Sea they, they celebrate. They, they dance on the other side. They're so happy that the Egyptians are annihilated by the Red Sea. They're so happy that God takes care of them. Two days later, they run into an area that doesn't have water. And again, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Why did you make us come out of Egypt? Why did you do this to us? Why did you do this to us? Why did you do this to us? It's a reoccurring theme. We we talked about this passage recently. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. Egypt. We remember Egypt. We remember how good we had it there. We remember how we had everything taken care of. We never needed anything. God brings them through a series over and over and over of miraculous provision, miraculous uh, encounters where God meets their needs in, in amazing ways. And at the very next hurdle, at the very next opportunity for them to put their trust in God, for them to believe that God is for them, that God is going to take them through this difficulty, at the very next opportunity, they're ready to go back to Egypt. At the beginning of Exodus, they couldn't barely bear the weight of their oppression. They couldn't barely bear the weight of the things that they were going through, the difficulty. You didn't see them saying anything about garlic and leeks in Exodus chapter 2. They said nothing about that. They cried out to God. God, do something. Let's go back to that first verse that we looked at. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses. Okay, we're going to do something that I don't normally do. Okay, we're going to look at some language stuff because I think it's really interesting. Okay, so that word that's translated as grumbled is this Hebrew word. I don't know if you're familiar with Hebrew. Hebrew, you don't read from left to right, you read from right from left. And the the word, the root of that word is For some reason, completely slipped my mind. Um, the The root of that word can go two different directions. So, there, there, are, we, there. The the basically the the word means the root of the word means to make camp. Okay, tracking with me. Now, there's a positive way that this word can be inflected and to have a different ending. And th- that positive way is often used in, in verses like the Psalms, where it says, he who uh, makes his dwelling place in the, w- with the Most High, it, it, the, like people who make their camp with God, that word also can be used to talk about in, when when it has a negative ending on there. it can be used to talk about this this experience so it's not like if we go back to this this verse it says and all the Israelites grumbled this wasn't a moment in time this wasn't a decision that they made to be ungrateful about their circumstance. As we've seen, this is the way that they lived. They decided a long time ago to make camp back in Egypt. To to look back at, at this idea that what they had before was better. That, that what, whatever the past was, was better. They, they told themselves lies about the past. They, they told themselves that the past was more enjoyable. They had better food. They were better taken care of. They were nostalgic. They, they, they were nostalgic we've heard people talk that way. Nostalgia. The good old days. Really? Were the good old days really that good? I think that we make them out to be. But it's not just the past that we do that with. We, we can make camp in a lie anywhere we we can make camp in the future we can make camp in this idea we can plant our stake in the ground in the future and 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 the problem with that is that every it doesn't matter how good your circumstances right now are the future will always be better doesn't matter how good the circumstances we have right now something else down the down the road the grass will always be greener over there so you're never satisfied you're never happy and so the future becomes the enemy of the joy in the present or like the israelites the past we tell ourselves lies about the past we tell ourselves lies about what things happened in the past that was so much better back then. I wish we could go back there. I wish we could, I wish we could have that experience again. I, I've heard, I heard this from older Christians my entire growing up. We had revival when I was a kid, and if we could go back to that, it would be better than what we have right now. They had this nostalgia about the past. It was a lie. It's not that there there wasn't good things. Sure, they had garlic and leeks, but they were also slaves, and they cried out to God to rescue them for that situation. We do this in so many areas of our lives, though. We do this when we believe lies. We believe lies about who we are. About what God has done. We, we do this. We make camp in these areas of our lives where we, we, this is our identity. And I think this is what happens is that we, we make the things that have happened in the past or the things that might happen in the future or the things we believe oursel- about ourselves to be our identity. And when offered to have those things taken away from us, we recoil. When offered to have freedom given to us over those things, we recoil. We're like, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. Because it's become a part of who we are. We believe lies like "I'm not good enough," like Basil was talking about earlier. We, we believe the lies that say that you, you aren't working hard enough for my approval. We believe lies like, "I am a failure." We believe lies like, I'm not worthy of being loved. We be, believe lies like, my past defines me. No, like, nothing I will ever do in the future will ever overcome the terrible things that I've done in the past. But God can never forgive me for those things because those were too that that anchor is too heavy. I believe lies like if people just knew me they wouldn't like me. If I let people in they would reject me. If I let people in they would they would run away from me. We believe lies like, I have no purpose. I have no value. And we know these things. We, 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 we identify with these things. They, the, these things become the most true things to us, the most true things about ourselves. And yet, even still, we cry out to God, God, deliver me from this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to hurt this way anymore. And God offers freedom. God offers salvation. God offers hope. And we recoil. Because we're afraid that if we let God take that away from us, what will our identity be? What will be left of us? If we throw the lie away, what will be left? We look back at the past. That person was. She had a good. He had a good. We look at the future. I could be so much more. What if. What if he, what if God was always the promised land? What if he was the one that we were journeying to find? I mean, think about it. All the way through the wilderness, God led them with a pillar of fire and a cloud. Like he showed up on the mountain of Sinai. Like he invited the people in and they said no. Like he, he knew that they needed a physical picture of himself, a physical representation to go with them because they couldn't, carry this imagination around with them, and so he gave them the tabernacle. He gave them this tent that would, they would set it up everywhere they go, and it was a, the place where God's spirit and presence would meet them. But the whole time, they spent with their necks looking behind them, their eyes staring on the rearview mirror, looking for garlic and leeks and the security of their oppression. The reality is is that God answered their prayer. God continued to answer their prayer. God was right there. God was eager to show himself to them to reveal himself to them, but they were so eager to hold on to that place in their lives. I think sometimes it's easy for us to make being a victim part of our identity. And it's so hard to let go of. How often do we memorialize our past because this moment that we're in right now feels uncertain? How often do we look to the future and think about how good it's going to be when we get there and miss out on the sweetness of the moment that God has put us in right now? He's made his spirit and his presence available to you in this moment, in this moment. So my challenge to you this morning is, are you willing to take those things, those lies that you've decided to put your tent stakes into that you keep returning to, that you keep walking back to, that you keep pointing, pointing to when you are given the opportunity to run away from it, are you willing to throw that tent in the back of the truck and get the heck out of there? Are you willing to find yourself in that promised land? And that promised land isn't a place That promised land is a person. Are you willing to allow the God that promises to bring you out of Egypt to take away that victim identity? Are you willing? Tony, could I ask you to come up and play? Here's the thing. The things you've experienced are real. The hurt the pain the oppression they're real that's not what the message is but what God wants to do in your heart and what God wants to do in your life is he wants you to trade that identity for something better You have to be willing. You have to actually want it. And not just want it in the moment when it hurts. you. Have, you what I love about the story of, uh, of Israel wandering through the desert is that time and time again, God provides a way. Like, God provides when they were thirsty opens up the rock and water pours out they're hungry later on they complain because they're hungry they don't have anything to eat and God literally makes dinner appear out of the air later on they get so sick of that dinner Here's the thing, God sees you. He sees the pain that you're in. He sees your hurt. And he's already at work. He's already on the way. He hears your cries. wants to meet your needs, you are gonna have to let go.